welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Last weekend, Julie and I were at the coast in the Jenner area for a few days. And at one point, we were trying to find a particular restaurant. And my phone's GPS was talking to us in a British accent, sounded just like Pat Ray, was talking to us about where to turn to find this place, but we weren't having any success. And that's because, in the, as we later realized, I had the wrong address in, so it was taking us somewhere that we weren't really wanting to go, but we didn't know it at the time. In the moment, we thought my GPS wasn't working, so Julie put the address to the place in her phone, the right address. Her phone started talking to us in an English accent about where to turn to find the place, but I never turned my GPS off. So for a few moments, her phone was saying, in a quarter mile, turn left, while at the same time, my phone was saying in a British accent, at the next light, make a (laughs) U-turn. And these two voices were talking to us at the same time in the car, telling us how to get where we wanted to go, but they were telling us to do contradictory things. And it struck me right then and right now, this happens every day of our lives. We're pulled here and there by this voice and that one. Turn right, nope. Turn left, nope. Make a U-turn. Prioritize this. Focus on that value that. The imagery that we have used in this series is of an avalanche of information and input bearing down on us every day and every bit of it claiming to be true and right and good, but obviously every bit of it can't be true and right and good because one says turn left at the light and the other says make a U-turn at the light. So we need reliable wisdom. And as followers of Jesus, we believe he is the source of this reliable wisdom, this true wisdom. And he wants to lead us to do what is right and good and just, as Dave talked about last week, in all facets of our lives. And we've been talking about this, as I mentioned, for a few weeks now, using the lens of King Solomon from the Old Testament. And today we are talking about wisdom and prayer. So what comes to mind When you think of prayer, when you hear the word, what sort of images or ideas or thoughts come to mind? Maybe asking God for things, talking to God, perhaps. I imagine for some of us, as soon as we hear the word prayer, unanswered prayer comes to mind. Or the silence of God. Maybe our own prayerlessness comes to mind when we think of prayer. Just a confession, I have always, for as long as I've been a follower of Christ, I've always cringed at the idea of prayer as some kind of to-do list that I am giving God to make my life better. It feels so small to me. Obviously, there are many things to consider under the heading of prayer, but today I want to focus on just one thing, and it's captured pretty well by the word realignment. So today I want us to consider prayer as simply realignment with God and his kingdom and his wisdom. Let me set this scripture reading in its larger context. This prayer of Solomon to dedicate the temple 
he had just finished. Let me set it up a little bit. Realignment is one of the main reasons the history books known as First and Second Chronicles were written. They were written to realign the people of God. They retell the story of God, First and Second Chronicles. They retell the story of God and the story of Israel, starting all the way back at Adam and running all the way up to and through what's called the Babylonian exile. And it is impossible, just impossible to grasp the larger story of what is happening in the Old Testament and in the Bible without at least a basic knowledge of this exile event. Now, I know this can be boring for some, but I'll make it quick and as painless as possible. The gist of the Babylonian exile was this. God's people persisted in their unfaithfulness, and they kept turning away from God and turning away from God, and God would send a prophet, and they'd turn back, then they'd turn away, turn away, turn away. So finally, in the year 586 B.C., the world's bully at the time, the Babylonians, invaded what was then known as Judah. If you want to think of it as Israel, that's fine. They invaded Judah. They conquered the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the city, tore down the walls of the city, and they destroyed the temple that we just read about that Solomon built. Then they killed a bunch of people, and they hauled a whole bunch of survivors back to Babylon and resettled them in Babylon. It was a gut-wrenching event in the history of Israel that brought widespread despair and hopelessness. Then a few decades later, Persia became the world's bully. And the king of Persia, a guy named Cyrus, gives the Jews that were in exile in what had been Babylon previously, he gives these Jews permission to return back to Jerusalem and back to Israel. So, First Chronicles begins with a genealogy, and it starts with Adam. And Second Chronicles ends with the people of Israel returning from their exile in Babylon. Let's call it 520, 515 B.C., something like that. 586, the invasion happens. They get hauled off to Babylon. 515, 20, 10, somewhere in there, some of them return. So First and Second Chronicles, and this is the key part, and more specifically, our scripture reading that we just read, was written somewhere between 450 and 400 B.C., to the people who had long returned from their exile in Babylon. In fact, many of those people were dead. These were the ancestors of those who had come back from exile in Babylon. So now they're back home in Jerusalem. But here's the thing. The plan is not unfolding the way they thought it would when they came back. They're beginning to wonder if God is all that he is cracked up to be. They're beginning to wonder if God has abandoned them. The chaos, the disorder is so great, the confusion, the what do we do now was so high, they began to think maybe God has left us. The city was still a mess. The temple was still destroyed. The predictions of all these prophets that a king like David who would come and rescue them and restore them and heal them and heal their land is starting to sound like empty rhetoric. So that's why First and Second Chronicles was written. Now, read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. You pretty much get all this story already that's in First and Second Chronicles. Much of the content in Chronicles is in 
Samuel and Kings. So it's a repeat, but it's a repeat with an important twist. See, Chronicles, think of it this way. Chronicles is a locker room halftime speech to a team that is losing or thinks it's losing. And the speech goes something like this. Remember who God is. Remember what he has done. Remember how faithful he has been. And remember how faithful we are to be. So, these two books were written to inspire realignment. To urge the hurting, the despairing, the struggling, the wondering to realign with God and his kingdom, stay connected to him, and continue to hope in him. And here's the kicker, and prayer is one of the primary ways this happens. So our scripture reading is Solomon's prayer of dedication after this massive temple project was finished being built. And this was built way before this exile ever happened. Building the temple was a project that lasted for seven years. Now, imagine the all-inclusive demands of a seven-year construction project to build a magnificent temple for the living God. You've ever remodeled a room or a kitchen or a house? You know how all-inclusive these projects can be. The coordination, the decisions, the money, the arguments, the delays, the change orders. Imagine the demands of a temple-sized project before computers and cell phones and machinery and technology. It's overwhelming and it's confusing and it's all-consuming, just like life. And you know this, you know it well, life these days is usually all-inclusive, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So much of life is spent ricocheting from one thing to the next, is it not? And as followers of Jesus, in all that ricocheting, it's really easy to become misaligned, out of sync with God, and out of sync with the way of his kingdom. Life is happening fast and furious, and in the process of trying to keep up with it, God and the way of his kingdom gradually get nudged aside, forgotten. Ignored, minimized, missed. So back to the story. The temple is finally finished after seven years. All the work is done. And the people gather to celebrate its completion. And our scripture says Solomon stood before the altar of God in front of this mass of humanity with his hands spread out And then he knelt down in front of this whole assembly. And again, he extended his hands toward heaven and he prayed. What is he doing? He's leading his people to realign with God and his kingdom. At the end of what had to have been a fast and furious and overwhelming project, before anything happens in that temple, before everyone returns to their everyday lives and fills up the space vacated by this completed temple project, Solomon exercises wisdom and leads his people to realign themselves with God and his kingdom, and he does this through prayer. So I'll take a time out. 
And I want to simply get out of this for a second. And I want to ask you, this is going to sound weird, but I want to ask you to relax for a second. Not that you're not relaxed. Some of you are too relaxed. Get your eyes shut. I'm kidding. I can't even see that far because I got the wrong context in. But anyway, I want us to slow down for a moment. I'm going to stop talking in a second. Again, this might seem weird to you, but I think it's important. I'd like to ask you to stop writing if you're writing. Put the phone away if you have it. Think about this for a second. We are here together and online in this gathering. And if you want to try to get your hands around, what is this gathering? What are we doing here? What would you say you do here? Then one way to say it is we're in this gathering. It's designed every week to realign us to our king and to his kingdom. But you know this just like I do. Sometimes our striving and furious pace does not stop because we come together. So I want to invite you to relax for a second. Rest. I want us to sit in this quietness. I'm not going to do anything weird. Other than experience something we may not regularly experience. I want us to relax. I want us to rest for a second. I want us to just let our shoulders drop. There's this line at the beginning of Solomon's prayer we're going to talk about in a second. Lord, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. Let's just sit in that for a second. I know it's hard to do this from home with chaos swirling and one child throwing an egg at the other one. It's kind of hard to just do this. But if you can, even at home, slow down for a moment and just relax. So, just going to sit in the quiet for a moment. Lord, there's no God like you in heaven or on earth. no God like you in heaven or on earth. Maybe the beginning of realignment. You might remember God told King David that even though it was his idea to build the temple, God told David, you're not going to be the one to build the temple. Instead, 
God said he was going to raise up one of David's children to build the temple. That child is now our King Solomon. And the building of the temple was his life's magnum opus. It was one of the reasons he was put on this planet. This was a huge deal in Solomon's reign. Beyond that, it was a huge deal for the nation of Israel. Beyond that, it was a huge deal in God's unfolding story of redemption that began all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And beyond that, the building of the temple and what it represented and what it meant continues to reverberate today in all sorts of ways. And that pattern I just outlined of small to big from me and my life and my challenges to us and our lives and our challenges to the issues of our nation and our world and finally to God and his kingdom, that small to big pattern is another way to understand what is meant by realignment. When we come to God in prayer, especially when we pray with other people, the small to big happens. We help each other move beyond ourselves and our concerns, and up into God and his concerns. See, through prayer, the small things, and I air quote that, the small things that represent life in the moment and in the now are gathered up into the big of God and his kingdom. Notice how Solomon begins his prayer in front of this mass of humanity. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you. This orientation around God and his kingdom is the starting point of prayer. And it's precisely what Jesus teaches when he says, Matthew 6, here's how you pray. Pray like this. How does it start? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Boom. Realignment. So this is a vision of prayer, not as twisting the arm of God to give us what we want, but prayer as realigning ourselves with what God wants, placing ourselves under him and dependent on his power and reframing our now, reframing our now with his presence and his power and his will and his kingdom. Realignment. I need this in my life. I need this in my role as one of the leaders of our church. I need this as I face whatever life throws at me. If there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, then there is by definition nothing like you in heaven or on earth. Nothing that can compare to you in heaven or on earth. And prayer begins right here. Because I shift when I encounter this reality. I shift. I shift when I pray with others who encounter this reality. I shift when I'm sitting there and I can hear us singing, you are worthy of it all. I shift my frame gets enveloped in his frame. 
So if no problem, no pain, no challenge, no fear, no physical ailment, not even death itself is greater than God, then however big that problem or pain or challenge or fear may seem, it is actually small when it is gathered up into the big of God and his kingdom. And Solomon in this prayer keeps going from small to big to bigger. Verse 15, you've kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. You see what is happening through prayer? Solomon is establishing that David's idea to build a temple actually originated in the mind of God. And Solomon is establishing that the people's hard work of building the temple actually was the work of God's hands. So God's mind and God's hands interacting and intersecting with our minds and our hands. So through prayer, Solomon and his people are taking the small up into the big and realigning with God. The temple David wanted, the temple Solomon built, the temple the people of God gave money toward and helped build, the small, is gathered up into the big. Somehow God is working out his plan through the ideas and hard work of his people and his people stay aligned with God's plan and purpose and kingdom through prayer. See, at this point in Solomon's life, we're going to find out this wasn't forever, but at this point in his life, he experientially knew, experientially knew what the Apostle Paul experientially knew and described in Acts 17 when he said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in human temples made by human hands. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For in God, we live and move and have our being. You see this? You see what's happening here? I hope you can feel the wonder and the magnificence of all this. This isn't some silly man-made religious system of hand slaps and scoldings for drinking a beer or muttering a curse word. This isn't the Bible as a textbook to memorize so we can pass an exam or impress a friend. This isn't faith as a side hustle or an afterthought or a hobby. This is the far country of life. Here's the key thing. With God. In the now. Wondrous. Beautiful. At times confusing. Interactive. Right here and right now. And in prayer, we realign ourselves with these God-soaked realities. Now, I realize all this might sound a tad bit crazy, a bit fanatical, maybe like fantasy land. But remember something. Solomon asked God for wisdom and God gave it to him. And Solomon became known as the wisest man on planet Earth for a while. So this prayer is not the rambling of a man who has lost touch with reality. This prayer is the outpouring of a man who has discovered reality. But just like some of us, I'm sure there were those in the crowd that day the temple was dedicated who thought Solomon was losing his marbles. And Solomon captures their angst and maybe a bit of his own angst in verse 18 when he says, but will God really dwell 
on earth with humans? Will God actually be with us and among us in this temple? You can feel the incarnation of Jesus leaking through this remark so many hundreds of years earlier. Will God actually dwell on earth with humans? Now Solomon is way up into the big. He says, the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Solomon is wading into the age-old complexity around prayer. God can be, can, and here's the complexity, can God be so big that he carries the weight of the universe and yet so small to be present and active in the lives of individual people and nations? And this is the power of prayer with others. We bring our small up into his big and he brings his big down into our small. Solomon says, hear the cry and the prayer, key phrase, that your servant is praying in your presence. Wise Solomon, wisest man on the planet, prayed as though God was big and he was involved in the small. Or if you like fancy words, he was transcendent, but he was also imminent, near. This isn't a prayer technique. This is a prayer posture. And this whole arena of prayer is an area where we're sensing God up to something. So I want to bring up one of our elders and one of our leaders in this whole manner of prayer, Scott Schaefer. He's going to come. We're going to chat for a bit about this topic and... Uh, Scott, can you grab one end of this bulwark never failing and help me get it on the ground? Yeah, that's heavy, right. So Scott is, like I said, one of our elders and one of the leaders of our prayer, kind of what we're trying to do and what we're sensing in the area of prayer. So Scott, just to begin, maybe talk about what you yourself have been learning about this whole topic of prayer. Sure, so um, like... Many of you, somewhere in my Christian walk and my relationship with Jesus, the question comes up, if God knows everything that's going to happen, why, why do I pray? So 10 years ago or so, I was having that conversation with fellow believers, um, and it's, it's a fun question to wrestle with. And at one point, one friend said, maybe it's because Jesus tells us to. And I thought, oh, and it seems like that's kind of circular. But later I thought, wait a minute, every commandment that he gives us, every single one is for our benefit. So when he tells us to pray, when he commands us to praise, there's something else going on. God does not need me to tell him how great he is. There is something else going on. So then that led to a, a realization, maybe I should look in scripture and learn more about prayer in scripture. And indeed, there's a lot more going on. And it, in brief, it has to do with alignment and power. And both of those are long stories, um, partly for another time. So we have, uh, for those who may not know, uh, we're actually moving it, but the first Wednesday and the third Wednesday of the month, every first and third Wednesday, uh, next one will be February 16th, we have a, a community prayer time the whole church is invited to. Maybe a word or two about what happens there and what doesn't happen there. Uh, how, how many of you have been to a prayer meeting at some point in your life? Everybody. 
I'm not going to ask how it went. Um, in my experience, I've been to some great prayer meetings, and I've been to some that are. Um, I try not to use the word goofy, but I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. What can happen? Some of the dysfunction that can happen in group prayer is that we end up praying for things that we shouldn't be prioritizing, um, and it's there's nothing that is not important to God. Nothing. However. My grandma's bunions, though those are important to God, they're probably not the priority he wants me to bring up in front of you guys. No, I'm not, I don't mean to make fun. All kinds of stuff gets brought up. But that's probably not what I should bring to a group experience. Um, I do care about grandma, and I should be praying for her, but that might not be the most important thing for a limited time that we have together. So what we've done we in, in on wednesdays we've been listening to some certain teachers on prayer and how to how to bring the right things how to orient ourselves well and align ourselves to god and then bring him the things that are really important um and spend our time on those things and it becomes incredibly dynamic um yes people bring prayer requests but where the holy spirit takes that conversation that we're having with him, and it is absolutely a conversation. Every Wednesday, I watch, I watch God direct us from here to there to there, and none of which I thought we were going to or I would have imagined. So one of the things, as we did a little bit earlier, one of the aspects of a subject like this, this idea of prayer, is not to just talk about it, but to experience it. This idea of experience God in prayer, experience the realignment that comes through the kind of prayer that Scott is talking about. So... You've got an exercise you're going to leave. I do. Through. I want to take you guys through a little exercise. I'm actually going to step down because I have to use the podium. So th- this is a really simple exercise, um, but I'm going to need you guys to help. So what I want you to do is think of something that you are going to do later today or could do later today that is fun. Something that's fun. Okay. Now what I want you to do uh, one at a time, and the more the merrier. I want you to stand up and in one sentence, in a loud voice, tell everybody else what you're going to do. All right? Real loud? Think. Watch the game with my family. Youth group, right on. So there's five people having fun today. Anybody else? Visit my mom. Michael Zachariah, what are you doing that's fun today? Brunch with the kids and grandkids. Awesome. All right, thank you. So now I want to point out a couple things that just happened. One, we had a conversation. We just had a conversation about what some of us are doing, right? Two... I started the conversation. I directed the conversation and where it was going to go, right? And three, some of us had our imaginations funded about what we could do later today. So when Michael said brunch, even though half of the people in church by this point are already thinking about brunch, you might have thought, hey, we could go to brunch. You hadn't thought about that before. So the conversation helped you, caused you to think of other things. So that is how prayer works. That's the powerful thing that happens when we pray together. So 
I'll take us, I'm going to take us through a similar exercise, but I'm going to let God start the conversation. And this is what we do uh, in community prayer on Wednesdays. So to let God start the conversation, we go to, go to Scripture. And we're actually going to go to Psalm 71. And uh, Karen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all three slides, and then we'll go back to slide one. Okay. So as I'm reading this out loud, what I want you guys to do is notice what God is saying about himself. It could be about his character. It could be about um, what he does to us. It could be what he wants to do through us. Any of those things. Look at those as we read through this and, and pull one out. And, I, and we'll come back to it, but I'll go through three slides. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise. Declaring your splendor all day long. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. So that's all from Psalm 71. So Karen, if you can take us back to the first one. So we'll hang out on this slide. And what I want the brave volunteers to do is stand up and in a loud voice, say something about God. And the templates you can kind of use are, um, where's my template? God, I praise you because you are blank. God, I love your blank. It's that simple. One sentence. I praise you because you are blank. God, I love your blank. So go for it. Stand up, loud voice. There's a swell prize for whoever goes first. I praise you as my God. Awesome. Rob? You can go, go ahead. My rock. Okay. Who else? For your righteousness. It's been... hope. I love it. That's everything on this side of the room. I'm looking at you. Awesome. One more. Mike. Awesome. So I want to just wrap and kind of give you a couple of clues about what, we, what we're doing and what we just did. So on Wednesdays in community prayer, that's how we start. That's exactly how we start. Now, it's, it's not as mechanical. It flows a little bit better, obviously, because you very quickly you know, learn that this is an easy thing to do. But that's how we start. So we, are, we want to come to have a conversation with God, but we want him to direct the conversation. So we let him start the conversation by listening to what he says to us. And then giving praise and thanksgiving and recognition of it. What is that doing? It's aligning us. It's absolutely aligning us to him, who he is, and what he is doing. Um, It also fuels the imagination. Every Wednesday, someone will, will be praying about some prayer request. 
say someone uh, is having surgery tomorrow and we're praying for that person. And I, when they say, hey, Joe's having surgery tomorrow, I'm already thinking of things to pray. But then when Sharon prays or Ginger prays or Dave prays, they're praying different things and showing those things to me. That's how the Holy Spirit directs the conversation as we go. And this prepares us for action both individually um, and as a group. And by action, I'm referring to the power of prayer. God's mission in the world is to, is to put the earth back together and put humanity back together. And the mind-blowing thing is that he doesn't want us to just cooperate, but he wants us to labor and co-create with him. And that's what happens in an experience like community prayer. We are co-creating with the God of the universe by his amazing will to put the earth back together. And it's a pretty fun thing to do. So I'd invite you to come to it. Thanks.